RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 5, Episode 12, Isaac Asimov and the Laws of Robotics, October 28, 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, Star Trek fans, all our background fans, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly now, <laughs> all you science fans, especially today, we've got, if you're crossing over in all those fields, we've got the show for you. In fact, by now, you should just be a Trekophile spell with an F, Okay. Hey, listen, as always, if you're a regular, you know to check out the Facebook page already. It's there, the document of the week, and this week it's short and sweet, but we we can take those. Those are good, too, because we always have a good time talking. This week, we've got the great Bob Justman, a simple letter to Gene. We're back in Roots, Next Generation era, and talking about something that was going to be, li- be with us uh as we just saw, all through Star Trek history. So listen, take a look at the document. Come right back. I'm going to welcome back this week's guest right after this. If we do decide to create an android replicant character for one of the Star Trek regulars, let's get a hold of your friend Isaac Asimov and ask him whether he'll allow us to use his laws of robotics in our show. We could even credit him in spoken dialogue. I think he'd love the idea. So, here to join us for a chat about robotics and the science of Trek, we welcome back, well, who else? The science advisor for all current Star Trek series since last fall. Uh, You've maybe seen her at STLV or the Trek Cruise. Our friend, Dr. Erin McDonald. Erin, welcome back to the Trek Files. Thank you. You like me. I'm back. (laughs) No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So from the early days of this new Android character data, or data as he was supposed to be called in the beginning, here's a document that's from so long ago, and yet it's so relevant today, because there was a lot more to come across TNG, the films, and and now, of course, Picard. So this one just really jumps out, because at the time he wrote this, it it was just a blue sky idea with so many thoughts he was trying to corral, and look what it turned into. It's amazing. I love it. I think I just think it's so it's so funny to see the thought process up here at the beginning, and um, and then knowing where it went, and that it's been around for decades. Actually, now. coming out and saying Data's positron, you know the the whole Soon methodology and process, and what he named his, you know, Soon is naming it for Asimov. If, if Star Trek is truly us in the future, then Doctor yeah. Nunian Soon had to have known of Isaac Asimov's fiction and scientific work both. That's, that's something that's always screwed me up just as a fan. And then, you know, having my fingers in the show is like, how much do we know about our life? Because our life has been influenced by Star Trek being around and then the Star Trek characters. Yeah, it's always, it's fun to think about. So I had a moment like that. I wasn't really big on the Blish. uh, This is a sacrilege, I know, but as a first wave fandom, I wasn't big on the Blish novelizations and the Alan Dean Foster novelizations of the animated series, but I did read them once through. And when... They fleshed out the animated half hours into a full book, Alan Dean Foster, and one of them starts off with a scene where 
Starfleet, you know, Kirk and McCoy and Spock are at the Starfleet Museum. Addictive of what he's talking about the Franz Joseph original blueprints, and my little brain was like, "What? What? Did you really <laughs> want to go there?" So yeah, so but this is a case where Gene and Isaac Asimov had. Isaac Asimov had been friends since the early days of fandom. They'd met the New York conventions. Um, and, you know, the famous three laws of robotics are out there. You know, thankfully, the three laws of robotics would make it sound like nothing ever bad happened <laughs> with a robot. <laughs> and thankfully, writers have found ways to, um, to defeat that, whether it's, you know, the creator himself is tinkering with something or there's a back channel circuit that we didn't know, whatever. They've, they've tried to adhere to the laws of robotics dramatically, but at the same time, find ways to get data into trouble, right? Or whatever the robot android of the week right. is, right? Well, and I think, too, it's it's fairly evident that um, that there was sort of a partnership there. Because I think thematically in science fiction, this idea of a desire to be more human, you know, in the original series that Spock filled that role, or, or trying to at least explore what it means to be human, and then... The transitioning from that idea to artificial intelligence is a pretty clear road, you know, to, to tell those stories. So I'm not surprised they picked up on this and ran with it at all. Well, I, you know, in the, in the halcyon days of the 60s sci-fi, when a lot of these things were very esoterically handled in books and film and TV weren't always the best place for sci-fi to be explained. If it wasn't a bug-eyed monster, you know, or the exhaust spewing, you know, pointy needle rocket ship – it didn't, you know, unless it was Forbidden Planet or, or Day the Earth Stood Still or a Twilight Zone anthology show. Science fiction was so new to TV. So when you had an episode in the original series even, like What Are Little Girls Made Of? And the Corby androids and, oh, the old ones, you know, and Ruck <laughs> and all of that. But that whole, that whole spectrum of – that was the first time I remember thinking the spectrum of when does artificial life start to approach, quote-unquote, real life. And, and what's the – are there dangers around that? Is what, how do we stretch our minds around that? And then, I mean, the the, the mud androids were just kind of for fun, but <laughs> yeah. but you got into that when you know Uhura is faking it and say, "I want my mind in an android body and I'll live forever." And you, even in a comedy, they touched on that. And then, bang, here comes Data. Gene had done the Quester show of an android looking for humanity, and Data is kind of his Quester character. So. Dayton, we're off and running. We wind up with Lore and Before and Dr. Soong and the brothers. You know, what's what's better, the perfect life or the, the android that's got human fallibles and can turn, you know. And then we right. unleash and then we unleash everything of Picard season one when we get around to it. So Right. Right. Well, and they because they've gone back and forth so much on like how unique is data actually, you know, that whether Starfleet just kind of took him as like a one-and-done experiment versus how much Soong was experimenting with the limits of artificial intelligence, I think reflects very well on how we as a society feel about artificial intelligence. And it's just like, it's cool, but it's scary. Ooh, but it's cool. Oh, but it's kind of scary. <laughs> so trying to find that balance. I mean, I remember thinking at the, in the days, well, I wasn't there, but looking back, like everything around the atomic bomb and atomic power had kind of that same way. This is an awesome force and it's pure science applied to real life. And ooh, is it scary kids? You know, yeah. and now we're in that same kind of field with AI. There's a huge is there isn't there a huge debate going on about let's push this. Oh no, let's not until we're we, we can handle it better. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's it, 
you know, from a scientific and societal standpoint, nuclear I'm glad you mentioned sort of nuclear power specifically too, not just the nuclear bomb, but um, nuclear power was one of those things that was similarly cool, but scary, but cool, but scary. But then we had disasters so early on that a lot of people's first exposure to nuclear power was through a disaster. And so they and us as a society will never get over that. And there's been lots of studies into that. And we're not quite there with artificial intelligence, thankfully, but we're towing well, that. Three Mile Island and Chernobyl, especially, you know, uh, yeah. kinds of things. Um, but and I remember hearing back in the day, people said, well, you know, that's because we're dealing. Well, OK, help me with it. It's fusion versus fission. One of them is the, right. is the is the um, poisonous fission toxic is one. the. Right. Yeah, fission is the one that like we use for splitting atoms to get energy from. Yeah. Right. Whereas fusion, there are fusion reactors on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which they definitely use interchangeably. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> as we know. But I so I've got the I'm not an expert on this. I've always heard about them and I dive into them occasionally, but I, just we're talking about the uh, Asimov and his laws of robotics and uh, and data. But uh, again, this would in other words, this is meant to uh have a say this is designed to have we would never go far enough with ai and with robots and android and artificial intelligence unless these laws are in place as a protection the problem is we're still dealing with humans being the one that would enforce right. and build these and thus you get oh i don't know drama at, at the and good then end. um yeah exactly and then i robot kind of dealt with sort of these mm -hmm. laws about yeah yeah about um Injuring, obeying, protecting existence as like those fundamentals, like you can't hurt people, you have to listen to what people tell you to do, and you have to protect yourself. And I think it's that second one that you must obey the orders. That's where everyone now gets uncomfortable because that idea of artificial intelligence um, reaching, you know, what we call this sort of um, singularity that it can teach itself and thinks for itself and says, I want to learn this and I want to, and goes and does it. That's when we think we've lost control. That's when the nightmares start. That's when we have, <laughs> In other words. And that's when we transcended clean little robots and AI and we've gone to the Frankenstein story or and on right. down the line. Millions, right. of, you know, retold and retold, uh, including uh, Star Trek, Data Brothers and Data. And Data's out of control. What's going on? Or, you know, or... Or a show like Clues, where Data is the only one who can save the day and, and help the friendly aliens do what they want to do to preserve their anonymity. Data's still walking around as the only person, unless something's happening. In the, well, Data's dead now. Data is dead. But, you know, the secret of the... to draw that line. <laughs> was the, was, oh, spoilers, guys. Did I... Did I <laughs> uh, but was it the Paxans, uh, the, the society that he had to keep secret, and they kept going around and going around until he, fi he finally figured out that he it was going to be up to him to keep secret, and he has to lie to everyone to keep the society's secret? But, I mean, that's, that's a case of, of Uber following the robots, you know. Right. And, I mean, we've seen both sides with, with what they've done with Data, that idea that he can be... I'm but I'm terrible with the episodes, but that's that's why we have you here. <laughs> that's why you're doing this. Um, but the one where um, where Data is sent to command the ship and is defying, um, and Picard's trying to hail him and tell him to stop, and Data just keeps doing what he's doing because he, you know, and it feels as a viewer like we've lost control of Data, 
even though he's doing the right thing. If we're thing. talking about unification too, when they've they've got the yes. uh, the web, yeah, the the, the neutral yep. zone tachyon web, yes, yes. Yep, that was exactly it. Um, but then the other side of it was in cause and effect when data's fast power processing figuring out was a good thing. So they keep going back and forth on that. And it's like that. it's almost like data is a real uh, living, breathing, sentient life form that has his good side and his bad side, and isn't right. just poured out of a mold, <laughs> <laughs> like apparently poor B four was. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anything? So you're advising the animated series coming up. You're advising uh, the shows going forward, and you know we're not going to do spoilers. But is there any broad stroke uh, aspect of? of AI, is it a lingering theme that might play out in season two of Picard? And I'm not trying to fish. I'm just trying to say, since we're talking about AI and robotics, and it was a big part of Picard, but even across the other series, do we see any of those? You know, it was a big part of Control in Section 31 in the second season, the last season we saw of Discovery. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a good it's a good question to ask. And, and obviously, I mean, some of it I, I can't even say because I'm still getting plugged in into all of these right now. But I think what this what this memo shows, and I think what we did see with season one of Picard, was that science fiction borrows from itself, and you know that these themes are universal, and there are stories, and I see this not just in Star Trek, but across Hollywood in the sci-fi writer community, that there are types of science fiction stories that writers are drawn to telling, and that comes a you know, when people talk about which Trek is their favorite or which series they're they're most attached to, it's usually because there's a type of theme. And once you start to dig into, like you do, looking at who the writers were and what their inspirations were, you start to chip away at, like, science fiction is so broad stroke term. It's like, I mean, I'm a, I also listen to heavy metal music. It's like saying I'm a heavy metal fan. Any other heavy metal fan is going to be like, all right, you need to clarify that. <laughs> There's a lot out there. Science fiction is the same way. And because Star Trek has been around for so long and has so many different writers, and, and now we have so many new shows coming out, you're going to get different feel, like a different feel from all of those. Um, and I just love the fact that they very consciously f- drew from classic Asimov science fiction for next gen, and it's great to see that here. Yeah, and even if it did start off back to our document, if it did start off as a personal shout out from Gene to I, you know, to Doctor A, um, it, fine. Let it start off as a personal little shout out. It's like Noonien Sung is named for a for a, a friend that Gene knew from the service and from the flight corps that he's trying yeah. to find, and he didn't know where in the world he was, and he kept naming these. These characters and Khan Noonien Sung was the same thing. He was trying to hear back from the guy over the years, so he would name a character. So the guy was, "Oh, Gene, I saw you." You know, yeah. who knows where these things come from? But then we, then they become legacy. Anyway, listen, Aaron, this has been so much fun. Um, we're just beginning to science the hell out of Star Trek. <laughs> yes, I love we have the Martian. So much more coming. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love the Martian so much. Um, but anyway, but thanks for spending some time with us again and digging into this. I mean, again, we got the science, and then we got the drama telling, and then we got the politics of, of marrying the two in a good way. And um, you're bringing it, sister. So thank you for doing that and for uh, joining us today again, too. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. 
all of our documents and your chance to comment are available right there on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetrekfile.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47. That's me. At LarryNimacek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.